So I um, just want to offer something that touches on on both the um, metta in a way, and also um, beginning to go into the emptiness, both together. Because clearly sometimes what blocks love, what blocks our self-love, is the way we can blame ourselves. Blame ourselves for this or for that or for something that happened or didn't happen. And similarly what can block love of others is also blaming another. So I want to just go into this... um, in, in a certain way. There's something in our life uh, we're doing and it doesn't go well and very easily we blame the self. Or we make a mistake and we blame the self. Or I did something, you know, wrong or whatever. Or I didn't do something. I should have done something and I didn't. I neglected it. I forgot whatever it was and, and blame the self. Or someone else is blaming you, and you just take that on. You just absorb that. You believe that. So I don't know if if um, anyone uh, if you've given um, presentations or if you're a performer of anything and you've done different performances. Um, or I see it very, very clearly when I give Dharma talks. It looks like, and maybe it sounds like, I'm giving the Dharma talk. <laughs> but that's actually, I mean, of course that's true. Um, but in, in another level, that's not actually my experience. Um, and If you are a performer, and maybe you have a sense of this, or, or you've given presentations, my sense is actually we give the Dharma talk together. And so there is, and this is really what I want to go into today, there's a whole confluence of conditions that come together here, now in this case for a Dharma talk, and all that together makes the talk. The person goes, wow, it was great, or it was really alive, or it was really boring, or, or whatever, or it feels a certain way, or it comes out this way, or that way. So in a way, you know, I have, when, usually when I give a talk, I have, even if I talk for like an hour and a half, usually it fits on one piece of paper. It's just a little shorthand note. The choice of words, the tone of the, the, tone of the voice, all this is kind of dependent on the whole um, field of what's going on here. Now, if you guys have had too much for lunch, that affects the Dharma talk. If you um, uh, didn't sleep well last night, now, of course, same for me. If I've had too much lunch and I didn't, you know, I'm tired or whatever, all, all that. Um, but even in the moment, you get a sense of where something is landing and the reaction to that, and that affects what's said. And, and it's this play of conditions coming together. Now, a person could say, well, or I could say, you know, going to Dharma, I didn't go very well or, or whatever, or maybe they think I'm boring or da-da-da-da. But actually, it's, it's not. It's this confluence. Um... Or, you know, you're in the office, if you work in an office or or whatever, and you make a mistake. You didn't file something right, or you didn't put the data in properly, whatever it is. And and again, very quickly, there's the self-blame. Rather than saying, well, what were the conditions that either supported the mistake or didn't support the action, whichever way you want to look at it? Well, let's say, very, very simple. I was tired. 
I'm tired. There was that inner condition of the consciousness, tiredness. There were actually lots of people in the office at that time, all wanting different things and talking, and there wasn't, there was too much distraction. Or the boss was around, standing over my shoulder, breathing down my neck, giving me a hard time, whatever it was. There was a pressure in, in the outer situation. You're with a friend, and again, tiredness is such a, is such a big one. You're just tired, and the friend is sharing something, uh, and you know they're going through a hard time whatever, and you find, uh, or they point out, hey, you're not being as empathic as, you know, you usually are, or you could be, or whatever. And it's actually, it's, it's a function of the inner state, which is, well, I'm tired now. I'm not as available, as open. Sometimes, and this is quite an interesting one, sometimes, especially in the context of Metrotreat, um, we're with someone, it's not that we're tired, but there's, we, we, we would expect a sense of empathy and there isn't, and that can be for all kinds of complex reasons about what's going on in them as well. There's, there's a sense of uh, something in there that's actually preventing empathy. So there's a sense of um, a confluence, a web of conditions coming together, and out of that web gets born a result or an action. And, and in avidya, in delusion we tend to blame the self. We point at one cause, and usually that cause is the self, because the self tends to think of itself as the star of the show. It wants the centre stage, uh, even if that's going to be the villain and, and a, a painful thing. It's like, it was me, I'm responsible, I, 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 I. So it always casts itself as the centre hub of what's going on, rather than a different way of looking, which is much more open, saying... All these, all, all these conditions come together, and out comes the action. So when we open it up, I mean, just kind of, if we're going to be kind of, uh, I don't know what the word is, categorical about it, you've got conditions, inner conditions in the present. So, for example, tiredness. You've got outer conditions in the present, something that's coming in the situation, in the environment. For instance, uh, your tiredness, or... Um, like I said, too many people in the office or pressure or whatever it is. You've got inner conditions from the past and you've got outer conditions from the past. All these come together and they, um, and they create what's, what's, what's happening. So let's take a few examples of this. Um, and obviously the point of this is that when I... Uh, deconstruct it, so to speak, in this way, and taking away the self-blame, and that allows more self-love to open up. And it's also moving away from the self-view into what we could call more of a view that's in line with emptiness, beginning to be in line with emptiness. So let's say you have a bad meditation, whatever that means. You're in here and you're, you're nodding, or there's just sluggishness or sleepiness. Well, maybe some of that's fed by outer conditions. Maybe it's just that the room is very hot, and when there's, when the, the room is hot, there's a tendency to, uh, for sleepiness. Could also be a tendency for agitation as well. Uh, maybe you're tired again because you didn't sleep that well. So really simple things, you know. But we tend to exclude them in this um, narrowing down of the vision. 
So insight also has to do with opening up the vision in some ways. We tend to narrow it down and make it just about the self and exclude sometimes what's actually really quite obvious as, as a feeding factor, as a feeding condition. Uh, maybe you didn't take exercise. So that there's, you know, part of the, the, the past conditions. It's like, well, I, the energy has become sluggish because I'm not, I'm not taking exercise in the day. And I go to sit, and then the only exercise I get is the head muscles pulling up, <laughs> the, <laughs> the neck muscles pulling up the head. Uh, maybe I took too much food at lunch. You know, they put something, uh, what's a favorite dish? Um, <laughs> I don't know. They put uh, the uh, what's one cake? Okay, cake. Good. They put cake out, and there it goes. And it's like, and we went back for third, uh, <laughs> third helpings, um, and that's a condition. It's going to affect the the, the digestive system, the, the, and and then through that the metabolism and the consciousness, etc. Sometimes tiredness is an emotion coming up. An emotion wants to show itself and there's resistance to that. And the resistance manifests as kind of sluggishness and tiredness. Uh, it's like, well, I'll just check out by kind of going a bit unconscious. And the mind just contracts. I don't want to deal with this. But actually that, that emotion coming up and, and also the resistance to it is part of a process unfolding. It's part, and we don't tend to see it that way. Again, we just think, oh, I'm just tired. Or we expect this emotion to come up without resistance necessarily. But maybe it's really on our edge. It's really on our edge. So we expect it to have some resistance. We expect there to be some resistance. So, it, you know, one level this is very, very simple. Uh, but we, we, we exclude this <coughs> from, our, from our awareness. <clears throat> I think it was this autumn, I think, and... Um, I think I was going to teach a, a day-long, a meditation day retreat in, I think, Oxford, if I remember, maybe Brighton. Um, and I was leaving here to catch a train uh, just after lunch on a Friday afternoon to go teach there on a Saturday. And uh, I had done uh, too much, tried to do too much work, etc., in, in the morning. And so I left late. By the time I got in the car to drive to the station, it was late. So I was a uh, little extra pressure on the on the accelerator uh, through through the lanes, and then halfway to the station, I thought, "Ah, oh, the train tickets!" <laughs> <laughs> so I stopped the car in the middle of the lane, rummaged through my bag, and I couldn't find the train tickets. I thought, oh, "They're in my desk." Reversed back, then rushed in, got the train tickets. They were in my desk. Put them in my. Uh, wallet, etc., back in the car really fast to the station, uh, dangerously fast on the lanes. Um, got to the station, and, and at Newton Abbott, you actually have to park quite away from the station. So parked uh, this other side of the... It's like over a green and stuff. Parked there. Uh, thought right, now I was getting late for the train. So got the bag, rushed to the station. Uh, train was late anyway. Um, <laughs> And then I was waiting for this now late train. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, the car windows. <laughs> Did I close the car windows? Because <laughs> it was a hot day. Um, and uh, it turned, it, what actually ended up happening, I think I'd 
I couldn't go back at that point, so I called a friend later from Oxford who very kindly went to check, and I had closed them. But the point is, the point is that, um, especially as a meditation teacher, you go, mm, where's the mindfulness? Where's the mindfulness? <laughs> Should you really be doing this job? Uh, so all, all that could go on. I mean, for me, mindfulness is really not the main thing. But anyway... Um, <coughs> More importantly, so that there's that view that could contract there, but there's a whole other way of looking at it, uh, which is the conditions were coming together, uh, that there wasn't the inner and outer conditions to support a moment of mindfulness in those, you know, 30 seconds as I was locking the car, etc. At that time, there wasn't, because of the rushing, uh, etc., there wasn't the inner and the outer condition to support the arising of the mind state of mindfulness. Do you, do you understand? Mm-hmm. Now, I could say, you know, I get identified with mindfulness, and identified as a good med- a meditator or a meditation teacher, all this stuff. It's like, no, mindfulness arises when the conditions are there for mindfulness. I mean, you could say, oh, yeah, but you didn't remember. or I didn't remember to be mindful. So it's still your fault. <laughs> this is what the self wants to convince itself, that it's our fault. I didn't remember to... Marvel. Let's, let's deconstruct it a bit more. Where does remembering come from? Where does a moment of remembering come from? So mindfulness, a moment of mindfulness is supported by the... The condition of a moment of mindfulness is supported by the condition of a moment of remembering to be mindful, generally. Yeah? Where does remembering come from? Well... It comes from reminders. It comes from reminders. It comes from in in the outer present. It comes from reminders. So, you know, when we're on retreat and the teacher goes, be mindful, where's your mind now? Blah, 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 blah. It's reminders to be mindful. And you see the Buddha statue, it's reminders to be mindful. The more reminders in the outer, well, the more chance of a moment of remembering and then the mindfulness. It's also, as I said, dependent on the mind state. So a hurried mind state... I need to get to that train so that I show up for the teaching so they don't think, where the hell's Rob, because he's supposed to be teaching, etc. Um, that hurried mind state doesn't support uh, the arising of mindfulness so much. And then there's the past as well, the outer past. There's a history of reminders. And if, if I've been in these kind of situations a lot, well, my past has been saturated with history, his, with the history of reminders to be mindful. As I've long ago lost count of how many times I've been told to be mindful by other teachers and read this and heard that, etc. So there's, there's, a, there's a, 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 a momentum in the past of these reminders to be mindful, and that feeds the present arising of the memory, of the remembering to be mindful. And also my own history of remembering. There's the inner past. The more I remember to be mindful, the more I'm likely to remember to be mindful in, in the future. So none of that, right, I take all this apart, and that remembering, I can't point at the remembering and blame myself for not remembering. Where, the, inner, the inner present, that absence of remembering, is also, we say, not self. Where's the self in that? Do you, do you understand? There's, I can take it apart and there's not, there's not the self in there. Yeah? So we, we're going to go into this much uh, more later on, this kind of 
unfindability of the self. I can't point to something and say, you are to blame, that is to blame. Because when I look inside, what I see is conditions fed by other conditions, fed by other conditions, etc., all coming together, and I can't point to any of them and say, that's the self, and that is to blame. So similarly in that example before about um, about being sleepy in the meditation, and, and uh, you know one of the things I said was maybe I took too much food, maybe you took too much cake or whatever it was. Well, what's going on there? And again, very easily, ah oh, yes, you see, <laughs> the self is a greedy self. I am greedy. I'm a pig. I'm a you know we're so it's so unkind. There's so much stuff around food. Food is so charged, you know, generally for, for people in this culture. Uh, and so much judgment and, and all this stuff that goes around it. Extremely painful can be. But again, if, if you, if you, it's like opening it up. Don't let the vision um, constrict and get myopic around what's going on. It's like opening it up. What are the conditions there? And again, well, okay, at the counter in the dining room, there was a moment or moments of greed, you could say. Actually, if I look more careful, carefully at it, oftentimes taking too much food has more to do with fear than to do with greed. I don't know if anyone's noticed that. It has more to do with fear and not having enough, and maybe I won't have enough. It's not actually so much about greed. Um, and those moments of greed or fear, in that moment, they were more powerful than the qualities of mindfulness or you know discernment or wisdom, etc. That's all. That's all that was happening. That's all that was happening. And again, they're fed by inner and outer conditions, present and past. Present and past. You know? Um... You could put other outer conditions in there that can affect it in different ways. You know, uh, you can put all kinds of conditions that would affect that moment of taking more cake or not in different ways. I mean, I don't know how you see Catherine and, and I, but but if 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 you did see us as uh, terribly fearsome authority figures, which which you may. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hey! <laughs> hey! <laughs> That's what we're going for. Uh, have to rethink this one. Um, <laughs> let's let's say you did. We'll have to work harder on it. Let's say you did, and I happen to be behind you in the queue for the cake, looking over your shoulder. Well, that would be an outer condition that would probably affect how much cake you would take. You know, it's all, it's all, you could, we could, there's so much that affects it. Um, is a web of conditions, and, and especially around food, etc., it's so complex what comes from the culture around that and the, and the, um, advertisement and the, and the, 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 the pressure, all this stuff, uh, that food gets very charged, outer and inner, uh, past and present. So, some of this, some of looking this way, has to do with understanding and kind of unpicking this web of conditions, to actually see differently. Um, one classic example 
of the, the way things can get so entangled and painful uh, and full of blame, either for self or other, in fact, um, is, is in a couple relationship. The classic dynamic of, of pain here. Let's say two people uh, are in a relationship and one has a pattern of uh, bring it, bring, brought with them from the past of a fear of being uh, constricted by the, in the relationship, a fear of um, not having freedom, a fear of kind of feeling a little bit imprisoned. A very common pattern. And, as it often happens, that marries very well with the opposite pattern of person B, who has a fear of abandonment and a fear of rejection. You put these two <laughs> together. I've forgotten what the chemistry experiment was when I was in high school. It's, I think it was magnesium in water or something, and it just goes... Um, what happens? Person A one day says, I want, I need a bit of space. And person B hears that, feels threatened by it, clings tighter. The perception of that being clung to tighter, uh, wanting more contact, sends person A into recoil. I, I want more space. I, I flee to the sense of space. And the person B, who wants more contact, seeing that recoil and wanting more space, clings tighter because it threatens them with abandonment and rejection. And so they, you know, and so it goes round and boom, goes the suffering and the pain. And very easily with that, either person A or person B can think, after being uh, in, in, in that uh, kind of pain, maybe just once, maybe in, in different relationships, there's something wrong with me, I can't do relationships. I actually don't see the pattern that's going on, the dynamic, the confluence of conditions that's going on. I... That's, you know, I'm broken inside, I just can't do relationships. Something wrong with me. The self-blame, rather than understanding, what needs to happen is we need to understand a dynamic there. We need to understand a dynamic. That's a classic one. But actually, even that one, even that one is, um, this is I'm not sure if there's a sidetrack, I don't think it is, but e- even that one it's not always that those kind of patterns are always about fear. In other words, person A and person B. It might not be that there's a fear of constriction. It might not be that there's much of a fear of abandonment or rejection. It might just be that the so-called, what, what do you call it, the, the, the thrust or the arrow of one person's personality expression is towards, um, uh, towards space. There's a love of spaciousness. There's also, um, for them, the relationship might be really important, but it's not necessarily the most important thing in their life. It might be that their sense of mission, their sense of what they want to create or give in the world is actually more important than the relationship. Still, the relationship is very important. And for person B, again, it's not about fear, it's that the relationship, the loving, the contact is actually the most important thing. And there's that love of that. So it's just, it's, it's almost like there's a, there's a, it's not about fear, but there's just a tendency in different directions, can be in some, in some relationships. Oftentimes those two people will actually attract each other, funnily enough. The, 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 the polarity there actually attracts each other. And 
there's a healthy tension in that, actually. It doesn't have to be a problem. If I decide it's a problem, if I feel it as a problem, it becomes a problem. Or it could just be a healthy tension. Um, but when the conditions come together, um, and we react or see it in the wrong way, it starts really influencing the whole perception of things. So this person who might want space and, and want, want to you know, feel like they need enough space in their life, and that's just how they are. It's not that they don't want to be in the relationship, it's not that they don't love, but they just need a certain amount of space. When they don't get that, uh, the very, it's, their space feels intruded upon and their perception of the partner can actually start to change. And they see the partner as someone who's intruding on them and they actually start to look ugly. They start to look, uh, the, the very way that they look starts to change and, and vice versa. Um, so what you know in in that situation, one one needs to give messages, give give messages to each other that that kind of um, support this healthy tension without being threatened by it. Um, and, and what that's doing is, if we give the messages, we're actually adding to the outer conditions. We're adding to this mix of conditions, and and we take them in, so they then become inner conditions. So, for example, the person who wants the space, who likes that sort of sense of freedom within a relationship, has this sense of other stuff that they want to do and achieve and create and manifest, um, they need to communicate, perhaps, they need to communicate a kind of reassurance. I do love you. I really love you. And I need my space. I'm going to go off and do this thing, and I'm going to be back. I'm coming back. And the person who lo- who, who's primary thing is the contact and the love and the loving contact they need to communicate you're free to go you're free to have your space and that makes all the difference because when the person who wants the space is given space then they want to come back when they feel like they're not given space they don't want to it's like they want even more space do you you understand so it's like this this conference is going to be so painful so painful and yet in in a way it's just a matter of communication understanding needs communicating that and changing the mix changing the mix a little bit if <coughs> again it could be that pattern it could be other patterns but with friends or or at work it's relationships at work or or with you know lovers partners whatever any kind of relationship in organizations, uh, when there's political difficulties within an organization, very easily it goes to, it's your fault, or it's my fault. The the blame lands. And that's rarely helpful. It's rarely helpful. And it's also rarely true. It's rarely true. What happens is, reactions and communications spark off each other very quickly and create kind of feedback loops. So, much more helpful, I'm not suggesting this is easy, but mu- much more helpful is, what is it for two people, whatever their relationship, whether they're friends or work colleagues or um, uh, even a boss and a, a junior person at work or couple, or whatever it is, what is it to be together on the same team looking at the dynamic together? Very easily it goes out of that into you, yeah but you, yeah but you. So together, un- trying to understand the dynamic that happens together. 
So all all of this is you, we could call it a way of reviewing something, reviewing, and it relates to what Catherine was saying was it the other night about respect, respect, spectacle, re re reinspecting. That's another way, reinspecting something, um, and this may happen in the present, but often it's really, really healing to do it in for something that's happened in the past that we feel we're blaming ourselves for, or whatever. Actually look at it again. What happens with guilt, feeling of guilt about something, is that I'm looking back at the past, at this thing that happened, and I'm seeing it in terms of the self. And the whole view of it is just wrapped around the self and stuck in the past versus actually reviewing it and opening that view up. And then I might learn something about different ways I want to do things, and it's more creative and it starts to look forward. There may still be remorse, regret for what happened, sadness, but that's different than guilt, which is self-centered. Remorse is action-centered. Uh, it's, it's learning about actions and what's helpful and what's not helpful. So one has the self in it, and one is much more liberated from the self. Yeah? Really, really important. So, reviewing things, respecting things, and when we do that, the suffering begins to drain out of things. It, so, in a way, the head and the heart begin working together, and this is so important in practice. Sometimes we uh, feel the head is, is not included, or, oh, that's just intellectual, or whatever. Actually, our conceiving mind is really important, bringing that in, in in service of the heart. And we're dissolving suffering and opening up the the the, um, the channels of love, the, the, the space for love to flow, softening things that way. But all this is part of that flexibility of view that we've touched on at different times. So to deconstruct things this way doesn't then mean that I decide that I, you know, that I move to a position where I never take responsibility for anything I've ever said or done. That I, oh, just, it's all right, there's no self, so I can just kind of be completely obnoxious. And, and, and it's, not, it's, not, it's not that extreme. Um, or that I don't accept appreciation. If, someone, you know, if someone's really trying to communicate some heartfelt appreciation, that's about the self in, in a way. And, and one can receive that, and that's important to be able to receive that. So it's flexibility of view. They're, they're like both possible. They're both possible. So we're deconstructing something. And in a way you can be quite analytical about it and that can be helpful. But also what's happening is there's a kind of softening. You're softening the view. Because what's happened in blame and self-blame is rigidity has come in. The, the rigidity of view. And it's landed on the self and it's just grasped it really tightly. And it's rigid. And we're softening it, we're opening the view. And when we go, like when we're talking about food and the complexity uh, in terms of my emotion in relationship to food at this moment, um, or my history of emotion in relationship to food, that's fed by all kinds of things. Uh, my, my, you know, my inner past, my inner... Uh, stream of feeling or thought or um, view about something is fed 
also by the outer, of course. This or that happened, or this or that situation at school or from the society. We often overlook how much we are influenced by the messages we get from the society. Sometimes there's too much emphasis put on the family, which of course is hugely significant. But we live in a culture that's giving us very, very strong messages. And I would say dysfunctional messages, a lot of them. And, and, and so it's all of that. That outer past influences the inner past, you know. I'm share something with you. Um, <clears throat> when I was in my early 20s, I lived in the States. I'd just moved there just a year or so before. And, uh, this was quite a while ago. It was in the 80s. And um, I got into a relationship uh, with a young woman my age. And, um, and we had some difficulties, basically. And I started to see, well, basically, I'm having some difficulties with relationships here. And uh, and there were also... Uh, there were also... Uh, there was also uh, an unsureness, I, I to call it, an unsureness uh, to do with around relationships, but also around sexuality as well. Like, I didn't know at that age, you know, I felt unsure of myself sexually. And, um, you know, looking back now, you know, I didn't realize at that time, for instance, like, I don't know if you know, this is actually mostly women in here, I don't know if you notice, but guys don't talk to each other about sexuality. I don't know if you're aware of that. Very. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Guys do not do that. Very rarely they do. Very rarely. At least not in a way that's helpful. <laughs> or, or honest, helpful or honest, and that creates huge problems. It creates huge problems, so that for uh, a young man, for instance, who's maybe quite sensitive or something, all kinds of confusions, misunderstandings, um, wrong beliefs, etc., can come. And in the context of relationship, etc. Plus all the relationship dynamics, you know, uh, can be, you know, quite confusing, etc., etc. So um, that was a situation I was in without knowing uh, that this was the case, you know. So just feeling this, and very unsure, not very clear. Went, to, went, uh, found a psychotherapist who, um, I got to say, she was absolutely excellent. She was really, really good in a lot of ways, and. Uh, let's put it this way, not helpful in a lot of ways as well. (laughs) Uh, So here was all this confusion and pain around relationships and sexuality, and um, she had a way of working which which was very, very helpful. So I don't don't want to kind of black and white this. I I learned an enormous amount there, and I healed an enormous amount uh, working with her. Um, But she was very, very pressured. She was very, very uh, of the sort of confrontative kung fu style of therapy. (laughs) Um, Which was good. It made me really look at things and really have to be really honest with myself, etc. But in a way, it 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 was too pressured. And that pressure in terms of what we're talking about today, that was a condition. That's a condition, an outer condition in the present. She also, uh, this is very unfortunate, had a kind of view that 
um, as time went on, it was almost like as if something was deeply bad in me that needed to kind of be purified or something. Um, and so it's almost like that belief in her started to work itself into me in in the soil, the past conditions of just an unsureness, a confusion around sexuality, a misinformation around sexual uh, stuff and relationship stuff. It became a self-belief. And with that, an enormous amount of fear around my own responses, around my own thoughts, around my own, uh, around my own sexuality. Uh, and then, so that outer condition had become an inner condition. How much pain this was, I can't tell you, I can't tell you, you know. Um, I also have, a, and again, other ad- she was, I looked at her, this relationship, it was kind of authority figure because of the way she was, and she was extremely wise in a lot of ways, and like I said, extremely helpful, she became an authority figure, and I was a young, you know, I was 22 or something, 23, etc. She became an authority, an authority figure. And also the formality of the sessions, like you go in and it's a certain time and you're halfway through a sentence and your time's up and out. <laughs> 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 you know? and, um, uh, so all that, and I, you know, my personality is, I, I, I tend to rebel against authority figures, that's from my, you know, I can see that in my past and my father and da da da, and I'm not particularly f- formal, in, you know. Um, so all this, and what, what would happen, again, not all the time, sometimes extremely helpful, um, but often, sometimes what would happen is that there would just be this stuckness in, in a session. It's like a stuckness in, in terms of my own prejudice, but completely stuck. And in the session, sort of sitting with her, and just, it was so stuck and so painful. Now, the interpretation of that stuckness was, you are stuck, you, there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Ouch. So much pain, so much pain. The whole thing um, just got... Uh, so contracted and so painful, and just can you see it feedback feeds back on itself? You, you understand? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a certain interpretation. And eventually, I just was like, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. And something cut through and saw, you know, clearly. Actually, if I remember, if I remember, it's hard to remember because it was so long ago, but I think I just in a way, saw through it without seeing through it with my mind first, and then afterwards I, I saw clearly with my mind, if that makes sense. Um, I'm saying that because of what I'll say later. <coughs> fundamentally in life, what gets us into trouble fundamentally is the way we view things. That's the fundamental root that's what the Buddha called avidya, this word in, in, in Pali, it's A-V-I-G-G, no, A-V-I-J-J-A. Uh, it means delusion or ignorance. Uh, in Sanskrit, A-V-I-D-Y-A, avidya. That's the fundamental problem. It's the way we view things. And at lots of different levels, you know, gross and extremely subtle and profound, we view things wrongly, as I've said very briefly the other night. So, here I am, and I'm experiencing, maybe in meditation, maybe in my life, in some situation, a pain somewhere in the body. And very quickly, um, the thought, or even the subverbal thought, the not even fully articulated thought, the presence of this pain means dot, 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 fill in the dots, and it's not very flattering, and it tends to blame and crystallize the self-view. 
because I have this pain here, it means that something. I'm a failure, I can't meditate, I'm a, my heart is contracted, I'm a this, I'm a that, it will go on forever, da-da-da, whatever. Fill it in. That Very easy, that's what happens. Or a thought goes through the head, and the presence of that thought means dot-dot-dot. The presence of this image that just flashed through my mind means... It's so interesting, you know, and I've seen, of course, seen this with myself in the past, but also just teaching, and sometimes, occasionally it happens, someone's here, um, and they're meditating, and they they just have a flash of a violent image. And if the reaction, or the interpretation is, that means, da-da-da, about me, that I've got all this, but, you know, I'm actually a psychopath inside and it's just waiting to come out and maybe I'll do this and da-da-da. Very easily the person, uh, that starts to build and, and start to fear one's own mind. And that was a little bit the situation I was in in, in, in the therapy. One fears one's own mind. What Trauma is that. It's like there's, there's um, no place to land. There's no place to sit when I'm fearing my own mind. You start to fear one's own sanity. The person says, like, maybe I'm psychotic. Actually, it's the fear of the mind that leads to psychosis. And you can kind of, so catch it. Just occasionally happens with a retreatant. You kind of nip it in the bud and you can see, uh, you know, talk to them, say, it's really okay, it's just a thought, you know. We'll revisit this much later. But if, if the fear kicks in and the person becomes afraid of their own mind, and then this thought might come up and the pressure on it starts to squeeze that thought out. So don't think of a pink elephant. Don't think the pink elephant. Don't imagine it. <laughs> and if you do imagine it, it means something really heavy. Okay? It's really, really bad news. Don't think of it. It puts the pressure on. And what's going to come? The pink elephant is going to come. You know? Um, and, and, and that loops, and it c- creates this frenzy inside. And, you know, in extreme, it, it will go somewhere crazy. Absolutely crazy. So what am I making this mean? This thing that's arising right now, what am I making this mean? Just to really notice that, to really ask oneself that question. What am I making this mean? I touched on this the other day. Why this? Why this that I'm fixating upon? Out of... Today I've probably had, uh, I don't know, someone once, I don't know how on earth they counted this, how many thoughts one had a day. <laughs> there was some figure. And that's even in, that's probably just gross thoughts. You know, thoughts happen at a lot of different levels, very subtle thoughts. Well, I don't know, a trillion, let's say. <laughs> a gazillion. Why this thought fixated upon and not something else? Why that one? Out of all the uh, different um, things that present themselves in consciousness, inner and outer, this mistake in the office, out of everything else I did in the office today perfectly, I focus on this mistake. Um, out of all the sensations I've had in the body, or I am having in the body, I focus on this one because it means, or whatever, or this thought, or this image. And we do that out- outer as well. So, View, view, view is a huge part of the inner present, what we're bringing in the present 
what's inner in the present that's that's you know, in me, in the present, the way I'm viewing things. It's a huge part of that, is the view. And interestingly, out of all of that stuff, um, outer past, inner past, outer present, inner present, it's not even that rigidly defined, but let's just kind of be, you know, for the sake of clarity. Um, Out of all that, matrix or whatever you want to call it, it may be the inner present that's most amenable to change. Sometimes I can change the outer present. We've talked about talking, communicating, etc. And sometimes it's it's that. It's the inner one. It's the view. And we'll revisit this a lot on this retreat. Practicing deliberately viewing something differently. Deliberately changing the view of something Deliberately flipping the view of whatever is going on. Um, so, you know, it gets to the evening and and uh, the last sit, maybe it's 8, um, 8.45, and so I'm just fed up with this. And, da, 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 da. and there's a view of the whole thing. There's a view that's there. Maybe articulated, maybe not articulated. A view of oneself, a view of the retreat, a view of the day, a view of the practice, a view of the other people here. And what would it be to just put in the view, uh, put in the thought even, I'm going to go to the meditation hall and sit there to support others. It's just a different way of seeing it. It's like, I'm tired, I'm fed up, I'm this, I've had enough, but I'm going to go there to support others. You're just changing the view. Or, you know, here's this sensation in the body and there's, a, there's this contraction. Like I said this morning, you know, the energy body goes in and out of open, closed, aligned, unaligned, all day. It's doing that all day. Too much of a big deal of that. So what am I taking this sensation to mean, as opposed to viewing it, there is a sensation of contraction. There is a sensation of contraction. It's just that. There is a sensation of contraction. And we're going that that piece in particular. We're going to talk a lot. We're going to build on that. We're going to come back to it and build. And we'll talk about it much later, or a bit later. Part of what helps the mind and the heart have this malleability, what allows the flexibility of you, is actually meta. The more meta we do, it's like the softer. Uh, it it softens the rigidity. Of, of the inner environment. And so the view um, and the perception of things, of self, of others, of situations, becomes more soft and more malleable. It becomes more like, um, I was going to say plasticine, but even more malleable. It's very, it's, it, we, we can, the more meta there is in the mix over time, the more we're able to, sh- to deliberately shift views of things, see it from different, in different ways. In all kinds of ways, all kinds of ways. But even, for instance, and I think was it with Julia or someone we touched on this yesterday, could even um, get to the point where you can actually say, okay, here's this situation, this retreat, whatever, this sitting room. You actually, s- one example, you can actually see everything is in love. It's quite a, you know, very, very progressed meta practice. We actually see all this is happening in love or as love. It all is love. 
that's an extreme kind of mystical re- reviewing. But generally speaking, it's like the more meta, the more just flexibility there is of the view. The whole thing starts to this calcification. It just softens. It softens, and then we can just uh, at, at lots of different levels. Very simple. Uh, whatever we can just change the view. When the view is different, then I'm putting a different thing into that mix of conditions in the present, because the inner present is different. Maybe I'll get a different result. Maybe I'll get a different result. Maybe. But more importantly, even than getting a different result sometimes, is that um, there's not the blame. The blame goes out of it, and when the blame goes out of it, the suffering goes out. To the degree that the blame goes out, the suffering goes out. You know, blame as well, because blame will feed back into the whole mix, won't it? Because blame is a self-view that's then happening and, and feeding back into the whole mix. So the whole thing can loosen, can soften. So, um, I've never taken so long to go into that um, before. Usually... I mention that sort of principle as part of a talk. Um, but it seems really, really important to me. And oftentimes work, working one-on-one with people can be really, really helpful. But the thing about it is it needs practice. In other words, I need to um, practice seeing things this way, practice opening up the view. It's usually not the habit. As I said at the beginning, the habit is usually for the self-view to crystallize. It's my fault it's about the self. And actually, you need to, over and over again, practice doing it, seeing it differently. So it could be something that happened 20, 30 years ago. It could be something that happened yesterday. It could be something that happened five minutes ago. Actually, reviewing it, seeing it differently, bringing the head and, and the heart uh, into that view. Um, repeatedly. Eventually, eventually, what it can actually change our habitual ways of seeing things. It can actually change the habitual ways of seeing things. And instead of habitually seeing things from this point of view of blaming self or blaming other, we start to see more in terms of this web, uh, this, this, this um, infinite, actually, web of conditions coming together and, and, and uh, fruiting, sprouting actions and, and results. And, and uh, as I said, the head bec- uh, is, is working in the service of the heart and in the service of freedom. Um, so it's really a practice. In other words, it needs, re- it needs doing. So you might understand, I hope you, you do, just intellectually understand what's being said. But without doing it, it's not going to make the difference. When you should do it over and over and over, and eventually something starts to happen. Um, and the more meta, the more able we are to open the view up this way. Yes, please. Um, just lastly with this. Um, so repetition, practice, and, and meta, all, they will all help this. And, and again, it's, there's a process of trust with, with it. Sometimes, of course, it's not that simple. You know, we, so talking about emptiness, talking about matter, we come from different directions, and it all kind of comes together. Sometimes a person can intellectually see, they start deconstructing the thing, 
And they see that, yeah, it doesn't make sense, but still there's this tendency for, for self-blame. It's still, it doesn't shift anything. So this is, this is very interesting and uh, complex. Um, sometimes there's a pervasive kind of, what, what could we call it? If I, when I use the word shame, it's almost like rather than blame for this or blame for that, it's more like just a pervasive feeling not good enough or feeling bad about who one is. It's more an ongoing, it's not specifically attached to this or, or that uh, actual event or something. Do you, do you understand what I mean? Um, uh, when that's there, obviously it leans the interpretation towards it was my fault, it was my fault, it was my fault. And even intellectually saying it, it might you know, uh, be difficult to shift that. But still I say practice reviewing, practice reviewing something, and, and the meta um, eventually, gradually, starts to dissolve that pervasive shame. It's a habitual way of feeling and viewing and sensing the self. And over time, the meta starts um, just dissolving that. It really has, and also the emptiness, both both together. They, they, they dissolve this. Um... There's also something about power. Because if I go back to that um, situation with the therapist I was talking about, when I said um, the conceptual clarity about what was going on came after afterwards for me, what emerged, th- thankfully, was a sense of kind of I don't know what you say, gut clarity, that more had to do with a sense of power, if this makes sense. It's like I could feel it in my belly, this, you know, this is this is wrong, this is not working, I need to kind of get out of this situation. Um, and that that came as, as a real sense of, um, it's hard to describe, just I felt it in my belly, in the hara, you just, it's like real clarity about something. I didn't fully understand what was going on, that came later. But, I mean, don't have time, I'm going to end in like one minute, it's like... Um, Power sometimes ha- is is a factor here. You know, it's like where's the? It's like I need to access my power for to be able to make this uh, crumble the view. Sometimes the power comes from the intellect. In other words, the intellect can be very powerful. It can be our friend and our powerful friend. I deconstruct this. I, I I'm, I'm looking at the conditions and I'm not taking any nonsense. You actually use the power of the intelligence. Other times it comes more from more from the belly, from the horror, from the, from the guts. Um, but this is complex. This is complex. Um, I think you know in in the situations where it doesn't dissolve and open out the view. What I just said a minute ago. It's like trusting the meta because it will gradually dissolve that pervasive sense of shame over time. It just dissolves it, as do the emptiness practices that we're going to get to. Let's take a moment to sit together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.